Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Hi, I'm Alan Montecilio, and you're listening to The Bay. So the Bay Area goes all out for Dia de los Muertos. But it wasn't always this way. The roots of the Day of the Dead celebrations here can actually be traced back to the 70s in San Francisco, when a collective of Chicano artists formed the first Day of the Dead show on the entire West Coast. Now, over the years, these celebrations grew. And in 1981, Rene Yanez organized the first Day of the Dead procession. So today, we're sharing an episode from our friends over at Right Nowish. Rio Yanez, the son of Rene Yanez, talks with Marisol Medina Cadena about legacy, tradition, and remembering our loved ones. Stay tuned. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randadid Fettah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Welcome to another one that's like no other one. This is Right Nowish, and I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Today we're talking about Dia de los Muertos, aka our producer Marisol's favorite time of the year. Yes, that's the truth, and that's my truth. My family goes hard for los muertos. Growing up every weekend in October, was basically dedicated to assembling our home altar or community altar. I love every part of it. Okay, okay, tell me more. From going to the flower market and buying marigolds in bulk, to picking out fresh pan de muerto and other sweets to feed the ancestors. I take great comfort in this ritual of 
dusting off the framed family photo before carefully placing each one on the altar. Looking at the old school photos of my relatives kickstarted all these memories for me. It's helped me feel connected to my relatives even when they pass on, as well as the ones I never met. I'm here for the connections to the ancestors. I'm really grateful that my parents and my community of artist Diaz instilled in me this knowledge about honoring ancestors. I totally get that their generation didn't inherit that wisdom. They really had to seek it out, reclaim it, and relearn it. All during a time when people were punished for not assimilating. Uh, you know, I never really gave it much thought about how the tradition came to be here. Like since my elementary school days at Emerson in North Oakland, I remember it being a part of the fabric of the Bay Area. And then hanging out in the dubs in East Oakland, of course I knew about the celebration down at Fruitvale Bart, but I didn't fully get into it into my college years. And then by the time I became a dad, I was taking my daughter down there as soon as she could walk. I mean, I think that's a testament to the work that so many Chicano and Latino artists, educators, and cultural workers did in the Bay and across California back in the 1970s. Okay, okay, it sounds like it's time for a history lesson. I'm here for it. To help shed light on this history and give context as to how and why this ritual is honored the way it is here in the Bay, I want to introduce you and our listeners to artist Rio Yanez. Okay, cool, put me on. What's his story? He's a curator, a graphic artist, and a founding member of the Great Tortilla Conspiracy, the world's most dangerous tortilla art collective. And art making has been his world since his birth. I was really privileged to be the son of, of two artists. His parents, Yolanda Lopez and Rene Yanez, are mission royalty and renowned artists. Both made names for themselves, each making art that was provocative yet tender, political as much as personal and playful, all while uplifting voices of Latino communities. I didn't have daycare, I didn't have babysitters, so my parents would take me with them uh, everywhere they went. And watching my parents work really, really inspired me. Rio's father, Rene, is credited along with a small group of artists for starting the first Dia de los Muertos art show here in the Bay Area back in 1972. It's widely considered one of the first documented Day of the Dead events in California and the entire West Coast. Oh, wow, that's, that's dope. Yeah, so I thought Rio could share some of that early history with us, as well as his memories of his parents. Nice, nice. Okay, it sounds on par with the tradition of what it's all about. I'll let you two take it from here. Do you remember your earliest memory of celebrating Day of the Dead in San Francisco? My earliest memory of celebrating Day of the Dead in San Francisco, it would probably be watching my dad assemble an altar at Galeria de la Raza on 24th and Bryant Street uh, here in San Francisco uh, in an art gallery that he was the creative director of. I just remember sitting on the carpet of the gallery and looking at my dad assemble it. And I was so little, uh, it was probably before I could walk. So it just seemed like he was putting together some sort of like puzzle or some sort of like sculpture. I just remember just the, the colors that it was black and white and then these like pastel purples. 
We can't talk about Dia de los Muertos in the Bay without talking about the art space Galeria de la Raza. I'd go as far to say the tradition wouldn't be what it is today without La Galeria. Fresh out of the Chicano Civil Rights Movement, a collective of young and hungry artists opened an art studio on the corner of Bryant and 24th Street in 1972. They wanted a space to promote cultural pride and empower gente to get involved in social change through art making. And Rio's father, Rene Yanez, was in the thick of it. He was part of the collective that founded the space, along with the gallery's first director, Ralph Maradiaga. The story that I've always been told is that in the 70s, Ralph had gone to Mexico. I believe he had traveled to Oaxaca. And he came back with this 8mm film. It, it, literally one of those films you would hook up to a projector and just run and, you know, it would make the little cranking sound as it spun around. And it was a film uh, with footage of uh, a Day of the Dead celebration in Oaxaca. My dad and Ralph just watched the film over and over again on a loop. And they were just, I think, really in awe of what they saw, the elaborate altars, the large public gatherings of people coming out to to honor the dead. And I think it really, really profoundly inspired and motivated them to uh, embrace it as an art practice and as the basis for an art exhibit. After watching that film, Rene Yanez and Ralph Maradiaga assembled their own Muertos altar on the sidewalk in front of La Galeria. It laid the foundation for what was to come. As with anything, there, there was a little bit of pushback. It was something that families did in their home or was seen as kind of a, almost kind of like a private thing. There was no real public recognition or, or practice of it. I think it really challenged folks, but it also... I think, put it on the radar of a lot of people who wouldn't have seen it otherwise. I saw some early posters from La Galeria in the late 70s that actually advertised, come watch these films of Day of the Dead in Mexico. And I think that's a really important detail is it was this educational moment. Like Mm -hmm. if you think about it in the span of the Chicano movement, People were hungry to connect to this ancestral culture, but you also had to learn about what it was because American education at the time really wasn't about affirming where you came from. It was really assimilate into whiteness. Absolutely. Especially in those early days, it was important to provide context. Unless it was something that your your family was already kind of in tuned with and on that wavelength, of didn't really know what it was about or how it worked. Yeah. For my dad's generation and certainly in my generation, there was not, you know, we had to seek it out or we had to have someone who was willing to show us. Ralph, along with the other artists at La Galeria, like Amalia Mesa Baines and Patricia Rodriguez, really expanded the possibilities of this spiritual tradition into a community art practice. Growing up, do you remember any conversations with your mom? Like when she was teaching you the tradition, creating a home altar, was there any explicit conversation about 
oh, the way we do it here in California, in San Francisco, isn't necessarily the way it's done in Mexico. For example, like, we don't spend the night in cemeteries. I, I think it's always been, for my family, and I, I think really the the roots of it in San Francisco have always been very Mexican-American without the, the pretense of, of doing, like, a super authentic, you know, replication of, of what's being practiced in Mexico. To me, the... The procession, the altars, the art exhibits, like it it's very second generation. It's very Mexican American. I think it's always been about kind of making something that's our own mm-hmm. and not necessarily just trying to to duplicate something. In nineteen eighty one, Rene Yanez organized San Francisco's first Day of the Dead procession. It's a mix of danzantes at the beginning, blessing the street. It's local groups like Local Bloco playing the drums, people holding candles and pictures, people in the lowriders or other trocas as floats. It just feels like this moment where gente really claims space. When I was a little kid in the early 80s, we you know, my mom would take me and we would walk in the procession. I would normally hold a candle and hold a photo of my great-grandmother. And it was maybe a hundred people in those early days. Just, it felt like a very small gaggle of people. With each subsequent year, it would grow uh, a little bit more and a little bit more. And by the mid-80s, it started to really pick up steam. The Galleria was coordinating with other spaces. People were were putting altars out along the street, down 24th Street. It, it felt like a magical time because the streets came alive. There were storefront altars. There were altars on the streets. The Aztec dancers, they were out there. Someone was blowing the concha, you know, burning sage. It was very small and Uh, very intimate. As the decades went on (laughs) and you came into the 90s and the 2000s, a lot of artists, cultural workers included consciousness raising into that procession. You know, there were banners talking about wars going on, gun violence. I guess I'm wondering what's your take on it and why for us as Chicanos, and U.S.-born Latinos, Latinx folks, like, what makes this tradition so malleable that we can talk about political issues? Yeah. The first time that I really became aware of it as a political platform was during the first Gulf War when we had invaded um, Iraq. People were dying. I mean, our, our forces were overseas killing people, but we were also losing um, soldiers. That was the first time as a, as a kid that I was really aware of people using it to, to talk about kind of a collective trauma, to talk about loss and the inhumanity of war. Like we, how could we not talk about it in relation to honoring the dead and and addressing um, what was going on in the world. So it went from this very personal practice to 
all of a sudden we were talking collective loss. The procession has grown significantly, with turnouts in the thousands. It all comes together as a labor of love by independent artists and community members that make it happen without any corporate or city funding. And as the times change, so do the messages that get amplified. The procession has been a platform to shed light on the AIDS epidemic, police violence, and the displacement of families in the city. Rio's father, René Yanez, eventually brought the Day of the Dead celebration to Soma Arts in 1999. That's where Rio and his father would go on to curate the annual Day of the Dead show together, encouraging artists to go beyond the traditional altar in order to heal personal loss as well as mourn social issues. When I came on, it had been a show that had existed in some way, shape, or form for over 20 years before. I kind of started as an apprentice to to him Mm. and was kind of just like an assistant. Eventually, he would start to ask me questions um, for for judgment calls in terms of curation and aesthetic choices. It took a couple of years, but I earned his trust to the point where we became co-curators and collaborators on the exhibit. I kind of thought of my dad as almost kind of like a conductor of visual art. He just was able to like have an idea and just like bring these artists together and coalesce a a concept into a physical exhibit. He would just be on the phone calling up artists saying like, what do you got? Or here's a show idea. Like, can you develop something in six months? It was really watching him, uh, kind of foster relationships with artists and being able to negotiate with artists. And I think that was his kind of curatorial superpower. We did it together uh, until he passed away in 2018. And I see it almost as the family trade now. Like, I I think the older I get, the more I recognize it as, as kind of like this family practice and something that I've I've inherited been uh, lucky enough to inherit yeah. you know and uh, just want to do right by it Rio has continued to curate the exhibit in his father's honor if you haven't been it's truly a larger than life immersive experience that you can't fully capture in words this year the show is titled to love and be loved in return The poster art for it includes a photo collage of both of his parents with legendary SF poet and educator Janice Mirakatani, embraced by the sun rays of Guadalupe. When you come into Somarts, it's a large warehouse space. Um, The building itself is over 100 years old. It was originally meant to repair naval ships, so the ceilings are so high and it's just this incredible uh large wide open space so as as you come in you'll see some of the altars are giant structures that are made of papel picado that are lit from the inside and are glowing and are really beautiful there's just really a incredible spectrum of what it means to create an altar in the show 
things that are incredibly personal, people honoring friends and uh, family members, but people who are also addressing larger issues like gun violence and violence in schools to very powerful piece about climate change. It's kind of a meditation on our our aspirations for ourselves and for the world mm -hmm. right now. I'm really proud of how multi-generational the show is. There's certain artists in the show that have been kind of part of our creative family who have been exhibiting with us for decades. But there's also a newer generation of younger artists this is their their first art exhibit outside of college. So it's this great kind of meshing of so many different cultural ideas of what it means to to honor and celebrate those that we've lost. This year, you're actually working with a young curator to do the exhibit. I am so fortunate this year to be working with Anais Azul. When I invited Anais to co-curate the show with me, they were 26, the exact same age I was uh, when my dad wow. first brought me on board. I, I want this show to be fresh. I want it to be contemporary. I want it to be ever growing and changing and evolving. And I really recognize that Anais has their own creative community, has their own, you know, family of artists, and has their own unique vision. I just feel very fortunate that we could work together. Rio's father, Rene Yanez, passed in 2018. And then three years later, his mother, Yolanda Lopez, also passed. Their deaths have profoundly impacted the Latino, Latinx, arts community here in the Bay. But their presence continues to be felt. Just walk to Folsom and 16th Street, and there is a 60-foot-tall mural honoring Yolanda Lopez. In their passing, I've really come to understand how much they have meant to a newer generation of artists and really how much they have mentored them. Uh, and how much they are missed in that mentorship. If anyone out there hears this and wants to do anything on behalf of my parents, uh, mentorship would be it. Separate from your curatorial artistic practice, I'm just curious for your home altar or your private altar, what are some of the things you're gonna put on your altar for your parents? And why? So for my dad, outside of being a curator, when he would get home, he just loved to draw in his sketchbooks. And, you know, his his routine was just always to uh, brew a cup of coffee and roll a joint and work in his sketchbook. And so art supplies, coffee, and a little bit of mota is always what uh, I leave out for him. For my mom, uh, I, I left out some of her favorite CDs um, in, in our altar and uh, photographs of her uncle, who is the reason why she came to the Bay Area in the first place. Even in grief, having lost both of my parents in the recent years, 
there's just a lot of joy in in making these things and sharing them with them for the night. That was Right Nowish producer Marisol Medina Cadena talking to mission born and raised artist Rio Yanez. Thank you, Rio, for sharing with us memories of your parents and giving us much needed context. To keep up with Rio, you can check out his website at rioyanez.com. That's spelled R-I-O-Y-A-N-E-Z. And be sure to check out the Day of the Dead exhibit he co-curated at Soma Arts. It's free and on view through November 4th. For more details and gallery hours, check somaarts.org. That's spelled S-O-M-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G. Also, if you want to participate in the 41st annual Day of the Dead ritual procession on 24th Street, it's back this year. Starting at 22nd and Bryan Street at 6.30 p.m. on November 2nd, go ahead and check it out. Time to give credit where credit is due. This episode was hosted and produced by Marisol Medina Cadena. And it's my honor to welcome to the Right Nowish team our new editor, the immensely talented Chris Hambrick. Seal Muller is our engineer. Our engagement team is Justin Ebrahimi, Ria Garewal, and Cesar Saldana. Rice Stottenborough and Corey Antonio Rose are our interns. Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Jin Chin, and Holly Kernan are KQED execs. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, reminding you all to light a candle for your loved ones on November 1st and 2nd. Make sure to share the stories out loud with the world. Funding for Right Nowish comes from Akinati Foundation, supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.